0: I Wanted to like it a lot more And I know we yeah. had a conversation about Skarsgård's performance
1: Right I don't blame him for the record I just think that he was really not given much To do You know which is weird for a main character In that situation Um like, Right and he, but he's supposed to be
0: Almost like that Like he, he's a writer Who apparently was not good And right. who can't come up with the second book and is looking for inspiration
1: who seems kind of like an empty vessel to be filled up with. Right, but the weird thing is I feel like you maybe needed somebody more like, because the whole thing is you become kind of a a detached person throughout it. I don't want to spoil anything for anyone who hasn't seen it, but it's like, I don't know, something about it just didn't jive. The only character that really stood out to me at all was Mia Goth, you know maybe well, intentionally that's what she does yeah and then and then she even became almost grating that batman. there was a like point her, where i mean she's supposed to the be laughing yeah
0: and james like yeah that is yeah. the point of it but i'm like all right i've had enough of this she was doing her so job so well yeah uh what if uh if it was robert pattinson
1: oh that could have I, been a more you kidding me yeah that'd be fantastic him and mia got together after the batman performance right Yeah, totally. That would have been been great. I would have loved to see that. I just feel like it it is a really good concept, but it didn't feel thought out much beyond the concept of it. It's like, there's things that are going to be talked about inherently because of the concept. You know, wealth and Mm -hmm. class disparity. uh, Things like, you know, things of that nature, but it didn't really have much to say about them aside from just like bringing them up, I thought. Um, Yeah. Like... I, I think that's a good point. It wasn't making a statement
0: rather yeah. than just like, this is something that is not, I mean, is technically possible, is happening, but in like much smaller regards
1: to the stakes. And it was, at, I don't know, something about like, I mean, you know me, like anyone who's listened to this podcast for a single episode will know I love gore and gore effects and things like that. And it was like, well done gore. And there was some like gross, you know, crazy shit in there. But it never felt impactful in the way that, like, I think uh, Cronenberg wanted it to be, you know, Brandon mm. Cronenberg. And something about it just felt like, hey, we're just like... Cronen baby, as I call him. Yes, exactly. Cronen brood as a tribute to his dad's film. Um, <laughs> That's not bad. But, like, I, I just feel like a lot of the violence came off as, like, it, it made sense for what was going on. But something about it was, like, a little too try hard. I don't know. Which is funny to because like I love the gore in Possessor, but you know, I don't know. Um Possessor
0: was really good. Compared to yeah. to this one I was I was very let down. But it uh you know, I'm glad I saw it in a theater.
1: Yeah, I mean you're I lucky. made myself do that. You had uh it's good you had it alone to yourself. Me, I saw it with like actually a pretty crowded it was a pretty crowded showing. I did drift off for a few minutes at one point. Like I kind of nodded off. And I woke myself up with like a sharp like snore, like, like that, you know? And I was like, oh no, everybody heard that. But then a couple minutes later, the person next to me spilled their popcorn on me, so I didn't feel so bad. I was like, I'm not the worst one in here, like by far. <laughs> well,
0: do you want to just go ahead and get our non-horror recommendations out we of the should, way? Oh, so we should introduce the podcast first. Actually, well, yeah, that, how that's about that. yeah.
1: item number one. Hello, welcome to The Weekly Podcast Massacre. My name is Greg. I'm from Los Angeles, and I am here with my co-host. Hi, I'm Michael from Portland, but everyone calls me Murphy. And on the weekly podcast, Massacre, every single month we select a different theme that we slot a couple horror movies into, and we just talk about them in relation to that theme. So for the month of February, we're talking Monster Love, and we are rounding up the month with Basket Case 2. Uh, I, I, Like I said last week, I wanted something a little different. We've been We've been talking about some pretty hoity-toity movies all month, you know, movies that that take themselves seriously for the most part. Um, So I wanted to get a little goofy here, a little exploitation-y, and so you can't do much better than Frank Hennenlotter because he's a king of cult exploitation trash. Um, But yes, before we talk about uh, Basket Case 2 and the various love stories within it, um, we're going to give some non-horror recommendations Although, there's one other vaguely horror-related thing I want to talk about, too, but uh, you can go ahead and start. What, what have you been watching, reading, playing lately, non-horror-related? I watched one of the most bizarre
0: movies I've ever seen. It was on HBO. I was like, I need to watch something new. Uh, found out it was a Criterion collection. That's mm. just DVD. Out of print now. But it's called The Ruling Class.
1: Okay, yeah, uh, I've I heard wish of I this. I could remember
0: what year it was it was like early 80s or something but it's peter o'toole as the 14th earl of gurney and after his father dies of uh seemingly it was it seemed like it was going to be autoerotic asphyxiation and then just ended up actually like dying as he's doing because he's wearing like a tutu (laughs) as, as it's happening um he becomes like the head of this family whatever But he's absolutely crazy and thinks he is Jesus Christ, God, the Holy Spirit reincarnate. Oh boy. And it's a great, it's a great role for Peter O'Toole. And the family's like trying to exploit him. They're like, you know, we want to keep all this money. Um, And as they're trying to cure him, they eventually do get him to stop believing he's God. (laughs) But with his name being Jack, he then believes he's Jack the Ripper. Oh my God. Incarnate. And it is it is such a, like, um, a skewering of society. Especially, you know, that high-level British uh, ruling class. Yeah. You know? And it was, it was so funny and could turn around and then just say something so witty and sharp. And even, like, relevant to today's society. That I was... You know, it's over two and a half hours, but I was enthralled the whole movie.
1: Ooh, okay. I, I have heard of this a lot. I've heard of, like, people telling me I should seek it out. But I, don't, I didn't know any plot details, and that sounds like my my kind of insane. Yeah, it's
0: it's worth uh, watching at least once just to, to see everything. The, the filmmaking, like, technical aspects of it are a little rough. It... It was a play that then was turned into this movie. And the director... It's a little rough. You know, Criterion restored it as best they could. Some of the, you know, film was not taken care of the best. A lot of his shots are very oddly... There's, like, odd compositions to everything. But it, it has a a personality, as I put it in my Letterboxd review. I It was... It was a surprising, okay, charming
1: type of movie. Well, hell yeah, damn. Okay, the ruling class. Um, hey, hopefully that gets a uh, another you know Criterion release soon because it's a shame it's only on, on DVD. Yeah, I doubt it. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> we just got to we got to start that wave that you know we got to reach out to Criterion, get the Twitter the Twitter trend going. Yeah, um, I'll start a petition right now yeah let's do it uh i we talked about it briefly before we started recording but i have watched all the bond movies as of like an hour ago or less than an hour ago actually um so i've seen all of those now with the exception of the 60s casino royale but a co-worker did let me borrow that on dvd so i'm gonna be watching that soon. nice um and i can't believe it but i'm a, I'm a bond fan now a couple years ago you asked me what is that they're not for me but like I don't know. There's this like you watch those and they're such fascinating pieces of film history as well, especially the early ones, because you're like, those are the trendsetters. And it's like, oh, yeah, all modern action movies like trace back to Bond. It's fucking crazy. Uh, and uh, I watched the great well, not great. It was fine. The documentary, Everything or Nothing. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, I have not, actually. It was released at the same time as uh, Skyfall for the 50th anniversary. And okay. they, it's really more about the history of like, I mean, they go into like how Fleming came up with the character, how the books were written, then kind of like the the lead up to making Doctor No, and then they kind of zoom through the history beyond that, sadly. And it gets a lot into the details of Cubby Broccoli and Harry Saltzman, the two producers who like founded Eon and like, were like fucking insane themselves. But they mm-hmm. do, <laughs> they interviewed every surviving Bond actor except for connery at the time he just didn't have anything to do with it i guess um but every bond actor they talk to is so funny and like has great stories and just like is a a great talking head in those like roger moore comes on and he's like very old at that point but he's still like gentlemanly and he's kind of like in my mind he's like holding a like a like a cigarette holder thing but he's got these yeah. like cool tinted shades on. Like George Lazenby is like talking about how much he like fucked in the sixties, being James <laughs> Bond. Like, you he, know, Dalton is yeah. like, oh my god, all of it's so great.
0: <laughs> I, yeah, Roger Moore always had that kind of elegance to him. Mm-hmm. I think of of all the Bonds, is kind of my favorite. Uh, just that theme, like when they kick that into the movie, yeah, and it's just like I'm ready to go. Let's get
1: shit done
0: oh it's, yeah yeah it's
1: a great series yeah yeah man i uh I'm a little a little conflicted at how i feel about no time to die i think but i'm glad to have watched them all and gone on that journey and it's a fun one to like end this marathon on because like it's the end of an era for you know for jane and craig so like you know i i almost watched them all leading up to no time to die in theaters which would have been fine but like I don't know. I feel like this way was maybe better for my opinion. I I have no idea. Anyway, I'm through the bonds. The other thing I wanted to talk about is that last night, and like I said, this is vaguely horror related. That's right. I I went and saw the uh, the new Beverly was doing a Blade triple feature, although I only watched Blade 1 and 2 um, because I've not heard great things about Trinity. It was 11.30 when Blade 2 finished and I just don't I don't like Ryan Reynolds and would prefer not to watch something with him in it. So I was like, you know what? Uh, Maybe I'll catch Trinity. But
0: there's, there's a great part where Ryan Reynolds is asking Parker Posey if her pussy has vampire fangs.
1: Oh, my God. Well, wonderful. Great. <laughs> Sounds like I missed out. I mean, hey, it is exciting to learn that Parker Posey's in it. That's good news. Yeah,
0: she's she's one of the big bads. I
1: don't I don't feel like I've seen that since theaters. Oh my god! But that was what stuck in my head. Um. So anyway, the reason I want to bring it up is because new Beverly, part of the experience, uh, something that is uh, has been on occasion better than the movie they play themselves. But like they always play trailers before each movie, even in double or triple feature settings, they'll do trailers before each each one. And, there, of course, all the trailers are on film. And I've talked about it before, but I, I just am so in love with old trailer editing. Um, and I think it's really, really fallen off and become, like, just a complete lost art. But um, they played... They were playing all Wesley Snipes trailers. And mostly, like, 90s action movie Wesley Snipes trailers. And you have... I think, I think every single one of them started with uh, whatever that guy's name was, like LaFontaine or whatever, the trailer oh, right. guy, the movie
0: voice. You're so
1: right. every single one of them started with him going in a world where you know, and then it would go into whatever the plot is. But before the first Blade, they did a trailer for Passenger Fifty Seven. Um, I don't know that one. Uh, it's oh man, him on a plane, he's up hijacking. I haven't seen it, but it looks insane. Looks great. Okay, uh, what was the second one? Oh fuck, I'm forget. Anyway, the third one was Demolition Man. And each of these trailers, my crowd was, like, going nuts for each one. Everyone just, like, exploding and laughing at all the, you know, kind of 90s cliché. Like, he's a tough cop who, like, doesn't play by the rules. Like, I think it said that in each one of these, basically. But that Demolition Man trailer, it uses the Bram Stoker's Dracula music. Like, the main theme. Like, it starts out that dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Like, and it's Demolition Man. It's the weirdest fucking thing. Like... I just I couldn't believe it. I was like, what a weird choice for your trailer for a specialist load action movie. Isn't I mean, it's been a while, but isn't with trailers you can almost use whatever music you like? Oh, that I don't know. Maybe. Maybe that's a weird legal like legal thing. But I don't I know cuz it's, it's like it's using it's like in it's like advertising to like sell a movie so s- that s- seems it seems strange. Yeah. And that's not a Paramount movie. That's like a Universal mm-hmm. I think. Um so I don't know how they managed to do it, but they did it, and it's the weirdest thing in the fucking world. But people like were going nuts for it. I just I just want to say before I move off a of blade, like I hadn't seen Blade two before. I enjoyed it fine, and it has elements of this. But I don't that, know. It's that's good. All the Guillermo stuff, very good. But uh, that first one, though, when I first watched it a couple years ago, like I liked it well enough. I was like, okay, like you know, Snipes is cool. That was whatever. But on a big screen. Mm-hmm. snipes is so fucking good in that he literally doesn't move speak or act without it being like badass in that movie like literally He's everything great. he does is so good like every every little motion every line like <laughs> oh my god when he like grabs the sunglasses and then dude like, puts them on it's so fantastic. Our, our audience was but... like explode like, just everyone went fucking nuts when that happened
0: yeah As good as he is, I honestly think it might Chris Christofferson as Whistler is uh, one of the best performances of the
1: 90s. Maybe it's because he had so good. He's great. But maybe because it was because he had more to do in Blade Two. But I liked him even more in Blade Two. But I feel like he had Mm -hmm. a lot more screen time and dialogue in that. And he was still fantastic in Blade Two. Right. Yeah. He was still Uh, good in that. Just quick
0: shout out that in Blade Two, one of the ninja vampires that infiltrates the place in the beginning yeah uh is danny john who who is the cat in red dwarf one of my favorite shows of all time
1: i don't know if you've ever watched that i've seen the pilot of it oh man so i I know the character yeah the american pilot or the the The, the british British one one?
0: yeah okay yeah. yeah yeah he plays you know he's black and he plays the cat very vain and like always changing his suits he's so good in that in that show and it was was one of the things oh yeah he's in this great yeah i i love the concept of that second one i think there's a lot of really good ideas in there yeah and you know del toro's execution is pretty great it's there's something missing in that translation i don't know what
1: it was to to me like it doesn't gel enough i thought it started out great and then the middle, it's its weird because I think with the first Blade, it's almost weirdly, not the opposite, but it's a different thing. Where I really liked Blade. I don't think it's a perfect movie. Um, because, like, I think the first two acts are, like, brilliant. And then when you get to the mom stuff in Blade, it really slows down for a long time, like, getting into that climax. But then once the climax starts, it, like, ramps up again and ends great. Um, but that, like, slowed down with the mom, like, really does harden that movie for me. Uh, Blade 2, I thought it opened great, the middle act really sunk it, like, everything just kind of takes too long, and, like, you know, I don't know, the, the kind of tension with the blood pack got almost, like, annoying for me, you know, mm. where I was like, oh my god, like, just fucking fight each other already, like, Jesus Christ, um, but then I thought the third act was pretty fun again, once you get to, like, the fa- the, the family stuff at the end. Like once that's revealed, I was like, okay, I'm kind of back on board because it kind of changed the way I saw the villain who I thought was bland before that. But once I realized what was going on and like, oh, the real villain is somebody else, I'm like, okay, right. now I'm kind of like on board for this again. So um, they're just trying to survive after what's yeah. been done to them, yeah. right? Which I appreciate. It's tragic. Hey, yeah. speaking of family bullshit, let's get into let's basket get it. case two I really like this movie tipping my hand right away um to talk about it though it is a sequel to 1986s right
0: I I believe 82 because 82, you're right it yeah that sounds right 82 and this one came out in 1990 right so an
1: eight year gap the main actor Dwayne definitely looks eight years older yeah totally absolutely but also there is a time jump so like they kind of you know uh, yeah they try so 1982 Frank Hennenlotter makes a movie in New York City for basically zero dollars like there's literally an infamous moment in that where the actor um, whose name is Kevin Van Hentenrick, he literally pulls the entire movie's budget out of his pocket and they use it as a prop at one point like (laughs) uh, um It was shot for zero dollars, but it is a pretty incredible, like, exploitation horror movie with really genuine emotion behind it. In this story of two siblings who have been separated physically, but are still connected mentally and emotionally. And one of which just happens to be, like, a head and an arm and two arms. Um, It's almost like a cancerous lump. Yes. Is what it always reminds me of. If anybody's listening to this and you for some reason have not seen Basket Case and you're listening to Ooh. this horror podcast, like, seek out Basket Case immediately. Uh, it's short, it's very breezy, and it is, like, just gotta be seen to be believed. It's, like, a, it's gross, it's funny, it's, like, genuinely sad, you know? I think um, all three of them are under 90 minutes, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine they they run any, any longer than, like, an hour 30, yeah. Uh, so... He reads his basket case in eighty two and it goes on to become like a cult sort of sensation, like people being like, Well, this is something really fascinating, especially for the budget that it that it's at. And it really does capture this like seedy side of of New York that that you know, movies can sometimes really get a taxi driver, uh maniac, mm-hmm. you know. Um uh, I, I god, I feel like I have another one to my tongue too. But like, um, Well,
0: you know, it's just, America was, was really invested in these play-on-word titles.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, totally. Uh, but it got, like, a surprising critical reception, like, when people did see it, being like, this is obviously, like, low-grade, but there's really is something here, and and Lauder is, like, a very interesting guy on his own, you know, and very driven. There's passion yeah, behind totally. it. So he, for the longest time, was very, he just was just like, there's no, there's no way a basket case sequel is happening. Like he would say, well, you know, Dwayne and Dwayne and Belial, the, the brothers are dead. Like they died at the end of the first movie. So how can you do another one? And also like, you know, they already got the revenge. They accomplished their goal in that first one of killing the doctors that separated them. So it's like, what else is there to do? So for the longest time, he doesn't want to make another basket case movie. He makes Brain Damage in the time between it, which is also very Fantastic. well done. Yeah, very interesting movie with genuine thought and passion behind it. And then I, he's—I
0: saw that one when Joe Bob was touring. Yeah. Oh, and nice! He did his brain one. It was the brain, and then Brain Damage, and Ooh, it was—I, yeah. it was great to see it on the the big screen. It is one of those absolutely insane movies when yeah. um elmer opens his mouth and speaks for the first time
1: like your mind is screaming it's awesome
0: That that yeah. is kind of
1: like a visual feast too The movie's very colorful and like just kind of gorgeous like you know whereas basket case is ugly and like kind of good for being a little ugly like brain damage mm-hmm. actually has some like weird beauty to it i thought in my in my mind anyway um, yeah, which and Brain Damage has a uh, cameo. Yes, of, yeah. There's a ca- there's a Dwayne uh, cameos you know, in it. Yeah, Dwayne and and he's holding the basket. Yeah. Yep. So after Brain Damage comes out, he manages to make a deal with the producer, who's like, "Okay, we're gonna make two movies, right?" But like, what are your ideas? And he's kind of like put on the spot. And so in that second, he comes up with a premise for a Frankenhooker which is a movie he also released in 1990. He shot Frankenhooker and Basket to, Basket Case 2 back to back. Basically just jumped from one straight to the other. There was like no downtime between those. So he comes up on the spot for, you know, the idea for uh, Frankenhooker. And then the guy's like, okay, what's your second idea? He still has nothing. So he's just like, and a uh, sequel to Basket Case just didn't really even mean to say it, just kind of blurted it out because this guy was offering him two movies and wanted ideas right there. Yes. Yeah. And so then he was like, okay, well, what the hell am I going to do here? And his original plan was to be like, it's not really going to be a sequel to Basket Case. It'll take place in the same world and it'll deal with like people with disfigurements like Belial, but it's going to be a totally separate story, which is why I think this movie still kind of feels like that a little bit. Like, it has gone away from Belial and Dwayne's story for a big chunk of it. You know, in my opinion. I don't know if you felt this, too. But I feel like Dwayne kind of disappears from it for, like, you know, not an insignificant they, amount of time.
0: Right. They are almost unnecessary in, like, the grander scheme of the movie. A like little they bit. Are, they're almost like the, the catalyst of yeah. it. And they're not actually as important...
1: Character-wise. It, like, really get... it starts and ends with them. And I think Dwayne yeah. has a really interesting story in this. Uh, Dwayne and Blyle He both. does have an arc. Yeah. That is, like, it crescendos there at the end. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but eventually he decides, like, okay, well, you know, I think people are going to want to see Dwayne and Blyle back. And I, I maybe somebody else convinced him to put them in. I don't quite remember. But, like, um, he decided, okay, uh, we're going we're gonna to bring them back. We're just going to reveal... That they didn't die at the end of the first movie; they were just seriously injured. They fall from a building. They get hurt. That's how the movie opens. And too. I we love open with reuse footage. Yeah, right. And I
0: love that they they get they do like some news people of you know they they fell and everything. And we get the neighbor from the first one. Yes, who was a
1: real highlight in that. Oh, first she's one. fantastic in that. Yeah, that's the thing about that first basket case too. Is like the casting in it is pitch perfect like every role in that is pretty great but um it's Beverly Bonner as Casey who is yeah a real memorable character from the first one like she's this prostitute that lives in the same uh building as Dwayne in that but she's like the real kind of like heart of gold character she's very comforting and welcoming and funny like she's great yeah um so yeah she's like you know she's like it was a person I saw it she's giving a report about what Belial is and you know the news is kind of like all a buzz about this because belial is so monstrous and freaky i feel like it's pretty believable that like this would cause a weird sensation you know um it's like if if bat boy turned out to be real like absolutely real you got yes footage of it and you right. got footage yeah exactly and like and well, uh, lots of witnesses saying they saw it yeah
0: it's i mean it really is great when they're showing that news footage of you know some guy with a really crappy camera but he's like going up and down Dwayne, and yeah. then it goes to belial and it is just Ugh, what is this thing and if it, you don't know like it it again scrambles your brain you're like yeah. what is this and it's it's weird this is re- not nature, natural <laughs> this
1: this aspect of the movie this sort of like exploitative media ad- angle in this one I don't know if it's weirdly really, I don't know if it's like if Lauder is kind of unaware of what he's doing in this movie or if it's like intentionally like meta commentary
0: I could see what you're talking about with, you know, the way that the reporter is like, I'll do whatever it takes to get the story. Yes. I do love her boss. Her oh, boss is really he's great. fantastic, yeah. And I just want to skip to this part particularly is that, you know, he's doing a four-page or a four-issue story whatever, um, and they're offering a million dollar reward if they find it. And then the reporter is like, "Well, do I get the million? If I find them. And there was a fantastic
1: push in to his face. And he goes, <laughs> million? What million? He's great. There's a weird thing in the... That's Jason Evers as Lou, the editor. There's a really weird thing at IMDb in the trivia where it keeps saying, Director Jason Evers, whenever it means Frank Lauder Oh. Some yeah. weird fucking... Tri- like IMDb person was so tripped up. And IMDb hasn't flagged it, even though it's just blatant misinformation. Or, like, it's a blatant mistake. Anyway, uh, I'm I'm going to talk about, like, so this is an exploitation film, right? Exploitation movies being, like, they're taking taboo subjects like sex, death, violence, things like that, and using that as a hook to get people to watch the movie, right? Or to, like, sensationalize it and, like, get drama or horror out of it or whatever. This movie, you could say, is pretty exploitative of the idea of people with disfigurements, and makes yes. them, like, literal cartoon characters. Like, it's pretty crazy. So that's what I'm curious about. It's like, is Hanelotter aware? Is this like, weird meta-commentary on, like, you're casting the exploitative media people as the bad guys when you yourself are, like, being exploitative of, like, disfigured and disabled people, you know?
0: Well, he's heightening
1: it all to, like, such a degree yeah. to
0: where it's not realistic, because I... We can and that's the that's the thing, that. yeah. And, and you know, we should come up with a uh, politically correct term. We should because, not call them
1: what the movie calls them. Yes,
0: <laughs> right. We should not be like the 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 Browning 1922 freaks, which this we is very much inspired by. Yeah, exactly. Um, yes. Um. Uh, uh,
1: the community
0: challenged. Uh. Disfigured groups you know yeah
1: to <laughs> disfigure i guess the disfigured is fine i think right and it's, I, I think it's I what mean, I'll go some with. of them are so bizarre yeah uh we, i think we should unless you want to give some of the actors i think we should really just jump into
0: these people because well i are... mean we
1: basically we basically get all the all the the main cast kind of comes pretty quick so like uh like i guess i kevin van hentenrick as Dwayne. um he also plays belial in a few mm-hmm. shots and scenes yeah uh, we really have Annie. good when they're when oh they my pull god off, the, the best amazing stuff yeah yeah uh we have Annie Ross as granny Ruth who leads the community of disfigured people um and very quickly Dwayne escapes i'll just I'll just go through that real quick Dwayne escapes from the hospital um he they kill a security guard Belial has the ability to like mentally project into him and kind of control his actions sometimes and so he uses him to escape from the hospital they get taken by granny Ruth to this community of disfigured people that she's running. Along with her granddaughter Heather Ratray, Retray, i don't know how you would say that—as uh, Susan, um, but she also does the face of Eve. She also later does the face of Eve. As well. Yes, that is correct. Yes, yes. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah. Um, then uh, following them on this story is Catherine Meisel as Marcy, who is our like uh, you know kind of driven, exploitative uh, reporter. Along with her cameraman uh, Artie, played by Matt Mittler, um, and eventually they hire a private detective named named Phil, played by Ted Sorel, who is probably best known as Doctor Pretorius in From Beyond, uh, right. which he is fantastic uh, in. Yeah,
0: I I recognized his face and I was like, you know, he kind of looks like that weird monster in From Beyond, and it is him. That I looked it up yeah. and I'm like, ah, oh, it is. is he he's no stranger detective? to I goo. felt like he was
1: he was like a cop, like a real cop. I got private detective because like I I think like the Lou the editor was saying, uh, something like okay. oh that detective that, or maybe this is that detective so who knows it could be one or the other mm. you know but he is like a detective of some sort yeah. He's um, great. His scene in the bar oh is my God. definitely one of the, the highlights. highlight of the yeah. movie. Yeah, yeah, we'll get there. So, uh, yeah, pretty shortly, I mean, Dwayne gets taken there. I guess there's one thing in the hospital. I do like the, the fucking cop. Security guard? The security oh, guard hitting on the nurse. I love it. That is really it. funny. And then when she you walks away. you to do something
0: when you get out of here?
1: Yes, when she That's, walks away. What was there to do at 7 a.m.? I was only talking about breakfast. When she leaves right there, and he goes, "Eh, there's some potential there, me boy. Like, I just, I thought that was so great. (laughs) Just talking to himself. Uh, And then he is immediately strangled to death by Belial. It's very fun. Um, So, yes, they get taken to this community. They meet the rest of the disfigured people. And, yeah, they are so cartoonish. Uh, First of all, they are all special effects done by uh, uh, Gabriel. Sorry, Gabriel. Bartolos. I'm getting over a sickness so people can't hear it in my voice. Um, so it's hard to speak it right now. But uh, he does a great job with all of these people. I think that for what they're going for, which is intentionally goofy, um, like it works. Like goofy, yet, yet still pretty upsetting at times in certain aspects, you know? As, as we have discussed, it is cartoonish to the
0: point where they have a fucking gargoyle that is animated and alive
1: it's a gargoyle Uh, boy yeah which is one of my favorites i love him
0: yeah to me you know hen and water should really sue disney
1: oh yeah for that absolutely living gargoyles come on for what are are the names for like victor and hugo right i don't remember the third one but yes um Absolutely. Well, there's just the gargoyles uh, show. Oh, the gargoyles show too. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh man, if Blyle had been one of the gargoyles in that show, he should have had a Oof. cameo or something at least. Uh, so yeah, they they are all crazy children. We have the one that sticks out to me the most is the teeth guy. That's just the one. Any I look at it, I'm just like, I, I, it just it it gives me an unsettling feeling deep down somewhere. You know, because some think of them
0: are. I mean, they're all oversized, but some of them are, you know, smallish oversized to gigantic. Like two
1: feet long. Yes. Right. Like two feet long teeth. And they actually look sharp, which is a weird, freaky th- I think that's the thing to me, is that they look like they have, like, sharp edges to them. Yes. You know? And at one point, you see him eating corn, which is maybe the most unrealistic <laughs> thing in the movie. It's like, how is he doing that? That's insane. Okay.
0: There's even a fucking frog boy.
1: There's a frog boy in who this croaks, who croaks a lot. He gets a lot of screen time Insane. later on. Insane.
0: Yeah. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever get to it in this podcast, but uh, the Alex Winter movie "Freaked" from 1993 has a lot of you know circus uh, performer people who are There's yeah. a frog boy in that movie, and the joke is that one he's wearing scuba gear. And two, that he's French. Of course. Love it. I
1: mean, <laughs> and just Every time I saw that, Frog
0: Boy in this one, I kept thinking
1: of my Frog Boy. Just you describing it makes me think we're going to get to that sooner rather than later, because I want to see that. Um, it's great. <laughs> so, yeah, we have a couple. I, I can go over a couple of the other ones. We have Lorenzo from South America, born with an oversized head and undersized body, which just kind of sounds like Belial in a way. Um, mm-hmm. But he's got a beautiful singing voice. We have Susan, who's a poet. Like, I can't quite remember what was going on with her.
0: Uh, isn't Susan the the daughter or the, the normal? Excuse oh, me, you're right. Not normal. That's not. Elise, because I wrote down all of the ones that I could track. It was Elise.
1: Elise, thank you. Ones. Yes, I fucked up.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's Frederick, who's like the really tall one. And you know what? We didn't even mention because it starts the fucking movie this is a trauma production.
1: Oh yes, this is a trauma release. I think distributed by Trauma.
0: Yeah, prop. Yeah, that, that's more than likely. But the, Frederick looks exactly like uh, Toxic Avenger. The way he, that it's the eye close. is like,
1: yeah, a, up a little bit and to the side. It is. It is a very similar. And he's the one. one where it's like he's pretty peaceful, and they say that he's there to come for anyone who needs it. Yeah, he's giant. Yeah, he'll be the first one to offer help. Yes, and then the other one, I guess the most the other Im- most important one out of this group is Eve, who we don't see quite yet. We don't get a, a good view of her, but she is... They mention, uh, Granny Ruth says to Belial, she's going to be somebody that maybe you can help, right? She came to us not too long ago, and she's been pretty shy and reserved. So maybe, like, you know, maybe, maybe you can be a help to her. I love that the shot... We see like a POV shot of Belial, like, and it's like Eve under a blanket. You just see these like gorgeous eyes, like it's the just eyes, like eyes, yes. yeah, like peeking through. And then we get a POV shot from Eve. I don't know if this is just me, but she's like under a blanket. The shape of the blanket is very vaginal. <laughs> like, I don't know if that's if that's on purpose or not. But Intentional, like, most yes. likely. Um but I really like that little moment of seeing like the beautiful eyes and like seeing belial's face is this where I'll get into this I I think overall this is a, this is a step down from the first one the first one to me is a is a better movie um maybe not better made because that one it, it's pretty rough at points but like that first one just has more like tenacity it's got um a more focused story I would say like it's got that Agreed. really really strong New York grit in it, where, like, it's obviously a ridiculous, unrealistic movie, but its portrayal of New York feels so, like, genuine, and it. it's, like, roughness, you know? Um, you know, and it's, it's just before a, Giuliani came and cleaned yes, up the streets. exactly. And it's just a more, like, basic story that's, like, better told, I would say, than this one. Um, Agreed. I, I think the pacing
0: in this one's a little off. It's, yeah. You know, and it's, it's fascinating, because he has more money to play with And all of the effects are really good for what
1: they are, because they're all practical. That's what I was going to say, though. So, yes, like I said, we have the great practical effects on the rest of the community by uh, Gabriel Bartolos. But Belial looks much worse than he did in the first one. There's something about his face in this that looks so dopey compared to the first one, where he looks genuinely menacing in that first one, you know?
0: Well, you know, the first one, how many actual
1: minutes of screen time does he have? He's got a decent amount. There's times, like, there's a couple scenes that are just him alone in the room. You know, when he's, like, trashing the room and stuff. Mm. Um, I it's been a while since I watched it. I, it this, the, but... yeah, I I probably should have rewatched it. I'm just talking the, yeah, I know, I didn't have time to watch it. I wanted to, and actually I might go back and watch one and then three. It might break sequence, but I really That's... do want to rewatch the first one. Because you haven't seen three. I haven't seen three yet, yeah. Still? And you have, yeah. It,
0: uh, maybe one of the, the best, I think, I'm pretty sure this line is in there, where they say, a bassinet of baby Belial's.
1: Oh, Just that's, that's poetry. Fucking amazing, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I love that. Okay, that got uh, me so excited for he,
0: it. <laughs> he's, he's also had a couple more films under his belt, so I think he knows how to use the camera. Yeah. A lot better. The lighting in uh especially the bar scene, the bar scene's lighting is phenomenal. It's so good. It yes. Looks, it's it's so moody and yeah. beautiful. It's like um almost muted neon pink and purple. Mm-hmm. But very dark. And then the other actor, the the cop guy, is just
1: sells that scene so well. So it really stood out too because I mean this is just an observation that I've made in a lot of other movies, but like uh, the rest of this movie, aside from that bar scene, is pr- is in pastels. Like the entire house where Granny Ruth and the community live, like it's all just like baby, like, baby blue and like soft pink. You know, it's all like '90s sitcom. Pale colors. yellow, yeah. Yes. And I think because of that, it's a similar thing to Pin that we talked about back in November for sibling rivalries. Which I al- I also almost chose this for sibling rivalries, but um. It just has a almost made-for-TV feel in terms of its look at times, I would say, which is a real shame because, like, again, that first one, I think it's 16 millimeter. that first one, so it, it is very, like, grainy and, like, just hard-edged, and I, I don't know, something about the 80s, going into the 90s, we traded, like, neon for pastel, and it, it kind of bumps me yeah. out in the first part of the decade, you know?
0: It- you know, and I didn't even look it up. Do you know if this was shot on film? Because as you said, no, I like, imagine this yeah. could be
1: video, but I it I would imagine it's film. I think still thirty five at this yeah. point. Yeah, actually, IMDb will have technical specs sometimes. Let me let me scroll down and see. So, okay, yes, yeah, so we meet the rest of the of the of the crew basically, and we have a little bit of a time jump. Um, you know, a couple years pass, and uh, yeah, negative format thirty five millimeter. Yep. Uh, a couple of lines I really like at the beginning of this too, like when they first arrive. I just like uh, Granny Ruth's line of, "Get my old X-ray machine out of mothballs," because she's like yeah. a she's like a psychiatrist or a doctor, right? I think of some sort. Uh,
0: well, they get no, they get into it. Is that she ran a commune for yeah. disfigured individuals? I guess that's what we're gonna land on. Disfigured DI's. Yes, if we want to shorten it. And uh, they ca- they even called her... Well, I guess I'm going to say it right now. Because they called her
1: Dr. Freak. Right. That was th- the, her title uh, yeah. in the newspapers. That's the lead that Lou gives Marcy. Of like, hey, we knew somebody named Dr. Freak. And she got into protecting these disfigured people because she had a son that was born with 11 arms that died. And so she got into this, like, cause. And... Um, they had previously had this detective Phil try to liberate somebody from this commune, which is how they know about her. It is very strange that this is years later. They say, that oh, it's the anniversary of the, you know, the Bradley Twins case, which is what they call, like, them falling into the all that stuff. Very weird he didn't give her this lead years earlier, you know. Like, (laughs) it it, it is kind of strange to me. She says she's
0: exhausted everything. You know, and just even thinking about it, (laughs) It's a very bizarre name,
1: Belial Bradley. I love Blaine it. Blaine Bradley sounds good, but bel- Belial. I like it. I think it's cool. Belial's a biblical demon, which i, I that's the reason for him naming oh. that in the first one. I, okay. I think there's there's some other relevance to the name, too. Specifically, like, the biblical character Belial has some other kind of, like, significance, I think, too. but I can't quite remember. But um, I love it. Belial Bradley. I mean, I always love alliteration. And Belial, mm-hmm. it, it's not like... It's a pretty weird name, but it's not a terrible name. I would say it's not a terrible name. You know, I don't know if I'd have a Blyle Anderson in my family if I would, like, ever do that. But, you know. What, are you are going to name your firstborn? Maybe as a middle name, you know. Like, I could do, like, uh, Roger Blyle Anderson. I don't know. Ooh. <laughs> anyway, pretty quickly, she gets that lead. And uh, she then, almost immediately, though, calls somebody else. She calls... Uh, I guess his name was Lyle Barker. I had a weird thing with captions on the one I watched.
0: His name is Barker, which is funny yes. because he is his, a himself carnival a barker. carnival barker. Yeah. Right. Uh, so Uh just call him Barker.
1: He, he's so good. The he's caption so funny He's this. amazing. Yes. The caption said his name was Al Barker, but it's Lyle. That's what it is on IMDb. Okay. Um, so anyway, he is played by... Um, Oh, did I not get his name? What am I thinking? Let me uh, very quickly get his name, because he's, he's running, like, a
0: sideshow... Yes. Uh, you know, side of the road. Everything's fake. It, yeah. And it's just... It's hilarious how how bad it is. But the reporter offers him a hundred bucks. He's like, yeah, great. A hundred smackaroos! A hundred
1: smackaroos! A hundred smackaroos! A hundred sma- smackarinis! <laughs> uh, amazing. His, like, celebration is so good. Yeah. Um, uh... His name is Jan Saint, and apparently he is just, like, an eccentric New York character actor that is in a shitload of, like, low-budget exploitation and stuff. And for good reason. This guy is absolutely incredible. Um, he's right. also he in, has... in Frankenhooker. Oh, look. Yeah. Oh, okay. He's I a, he's a see that. He plays a street preacher in Frankenhooker, and I, I do remember his, his bit because it's, it's pretty unforgettable. is um, excellent, by the way. Like, that might be my favorite and Lauder that I've seen, like... I don't know. It's nowhere near as like serious as I mean, as serious as brain damage is like it's not as like serious about brain damage or like as gritty or emotional as a basket case. But what it's like a fun time for what it's going for. It is perfect. It is so entertaining. Um, You made me think, though, is is there like
0: a should be a Hall of Fame for street preachers? you know yeah. in movies uh automatically i'm thinking of the the one guy in they live who's like that was my
1: that was my number one thought too absolutely right He's so that good. guy
0: but also uh uh kareem abdul jabbar in the stand
1: miniseries oh oh that's He's right. like the street prophet of doom yeah i forgot about that the i Zoffrey, never finished yeah. i never finished watching that miniseries but i did get to his part yeah I love I Miguel Fer- Miguel Ferrer one. in it is good. Oh, he's uh, yeah, he's great. I started the new one and I kind of wasn't that interested. Uh, yeah, I got yeah. a
0: couple episodes in and I was, uh, um, but I I always really enjoyed the the TV with Gary Sinise one. I you know it's bizarre, Courtney. but uh, yeah, the guy who's playing Randall Flag, I think he does a really good job. Yeah,
1: he's good. He's good casting for that. Yeah, um, so. Uh, just on that side note, like I haven't seen the Dark Tower movie, but it is a shame that they wasted McConaughey as Randall Flagg on that movie, or as like the Man in Black, you know I should say, yeah. right? Um, I mean, he is yeah, Randall the same Flagg. character um, essentially, I, right? It's like it's I like created... kind of mostly, yeah.
0: Uh, that's very difficult. That's a very thing yeah. you would have to really go into. But uh, I did a whole like casting of who I thought should be in all these roles. Uh, With Javier Bardem as my Roland. But my casting for Man in Black was John Hamm. I think John Hamm, you give him some like five o'clock stubble and just
1: get the like wild, crazy laughing. I think he would be a really good. You kind of need somebody that I I think that's pretty good. But you you need somebody. And I don't know how we. (laughs) It's funny. We just got here on our Basket Gay (laughs) Sue episode. But um, I think you need somebody that can kind of be like a 50s rock and roll type of guy. Because that's always King's yeah. thing, and like the man in black. I mean, it's, it's a Johnny Cash reference, just the title in in general. Like, you need somebody that can kind of be like this sort of like you know, like kind of swarthy, a little like I don't know. Um They have to be able to have fun, but yeah. also then be completely menacing within like us. Which is why I, which other. is why I do think McConaughey is good casting for it. Just I haven't seen that movie, but. Just based on the trailers, I'm like, ah, this is a shame. You know, it was not good.
0: It was yeah. not. good
1: I mean, at even all. even Idris Elba is weird casting for Roland, but it's not bad casting. I don't think. You know, it, it, it's strange because race does play such a big part in that series. You know, maybe to... maybe to a degree it shouldn't, but it does. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like I was gonna say to a degree,
0: but it is like without giving full Dark Tower spoilers, it it can work. Yeah, the the movie and the book are specifically different for a reason, right? And you can, by the end of the novel,
1: you can be like, okay, that this is something else. Man, I already made it my goal to, to read the James Bond novels this year, at least the Ian Fleming's one. But, like, I, I desperately need to finish the Dark Tower series. Like, You got to finish that journey to the Tower. At my, my this man. point, it's taking me as long to read them as it took King to write them. Like, yeah. You know, I'm living the fan experience for real, in real time. He anyway. almost died. He almost <laughs> died,
0: and we would have never had these finished. And again, just tiny, tiny spoiler.
1: He writes that into the book. Oh, that's so funny! Oh, oh, I, I love him. I it's it's been like a year since I've read any King, and it's getting too long. I have to. Fin- I started reading the Dark Half, and I got to finish that. Um, anyway, anyway, basket anyway, case. basket case too. So Marcy's on her way to see the Barker. Uh, however, Granny Ruth gets there first, and he decides, okay, sure. Since I'm up anyway, and somebody is coming, I will show you the new exhibit which is the Bradley twin, the Bradley monster, as they call it. And I love his performance here. He is going into all this shit about the merman, the merwoman he has, the mermaid he has, all these other, like, freaks, aliens, things like that. And when he gets to Belial and he pulls the curtain back, it's a pretty cool-looking skeleton with, like, you know, the arm coming out of the head and, like, the thing and the big face and all that, the teeth. And he is doing his shtick of like you know I you know it crawled its way from New York City all this stuff, and he is she walks away from him and he continues doing his like whole thing to nobody, yeah. which is so. He's funny. also in uh, like Long John One Piece. Yeah, yeah. Basically, I love <laughs> it. Yes, and he's like a balding like old coot. You know, it's it's a great no upper teeth. It's mm-hmm. fantastic. Yeah. So she starts calling him like exploitative and saying like you know he's got he's like emotionless and a, like a, a cockroach I think or something like that what she calls him and um she says something like you know how did it get so big after it got this big after it died <laughs> and he's got that great line of acromegaly acromegaly the accent is on the meg like uh you Beautiful. know it actually increased in size before that yeah so good um so he gets all mad and tells her to get out she says you should need to apologize to Mr. Bradley, and she has the basket with him, and she unleashes Belial on him. I really like Granny Ruth as like the new Avenger of this, you know? And I can see where this was probably the original plot of this was like it's gonna be just about her like putting down these people sure. who exploit the disfigured. Um You know, making me think tying it all back, it's like she's M. Yes. And Belial
0: is James Bond. He's he's the gun and she's the,
1: the person pulling the trigger. Uh, you know, Bradley. Belial Bradley. Yes. Absolutely. I was trying to think of what he eats or drinks, but I can't think of anything like, uh, uh, One of the next ones we have is Susan
0: picking up uh, groceries. Yes. And the, the grocer is so upset that she
1: won't go out with him. Even oh though my he's God. like 40, what is, he's what is 40 with that years scene. older than her. Yeah. It's not even go uh, out with him. It's like, it's, like, hey, it's like, come to my place for a drink. Like he owns a bar yeah. or something. Yeah. Uh,
0: maybe if I was a freak, you'd be a lot friendlier. Yeah, I don't know. I'll make know you the... a
1: margarita. I'll put an umbrella in it. I don't know what the point of that scene is, but it's very funny. She drives away and he just goes bitch under his like under his breath. <laughs> yeah. Uh that's really good. So yeah, Marcy oh we also uh, Marcy gets to the to the tent and like she finds the guy's body stuffed into the mermaid tank. Uh which is a nice little gross out scene. And that's where she has the um conversation with the photographer, uh mm-hmm. Artie. And he's kind of funny. He's kind of like a low rent um uh ramy brother that's kind of what he feels okay. like yeah you know? and you know he's trying to to get fresh with her and she's not yes. having it not this type of partnership as yeah reminding reminded me of uh naomi watts and chip and down um that's a good call so basically they're like okay well we are going to go investigate this woman you know based on the lead from lou the editor we're going to investigate dr freak we didn't even mention they're in
0: staten island oh yeah that's right yeah yeah which yeah. is is technically part of new york city right but the 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 ugly redheaded stepchild
1: of new york. <laughs> so thematically it makes sense which, then yeah. exactly mm-hmm. so we uh now finally we catch up with dwayne really he's talking about how he's feeling alienated from everybody in the community except for susan um and he says that they could leave together. So she's unpacking the groceries, and she's like, "No, but we're we but we belong with them. We don't belong in the outside world either, Dwayne. We're just like them, you know." And he's kind of confused by this, but you know he's got some real incel energy in this yes. movie. Yes, totally. Yes, uh, but this is one of the two romances. This is why I picked this for Monster Love. We have his romance with um Susan, Susan and then Belial's romance with Eve. So. Uh we also Blyle has a therapy session with Granny Ruth. He doesn't actually speak, he speaks telepathically. Um and it's like, oh you don't oh, feel like great. a you don't feel like a real person. You have you love your brother, but yet you feel restrained and like, you know, um what is the other word she uses? Like spite towards him and things like that. So Blyle and Dwayne have a dual arc going on here where they both do care about each other. They've been with each other from the beginning. They went through all that experience before, but they had a falling out, and like, you know, one feels held back by the other in their respective worlds. Like, when Dwayne is in the quote-unquote normal world, he has this literal weight to bear in Belial in the basket. In the community, Belial is associated with Dwayne, who doesn't fit in with anyone else in in this place. And that to me is such a great conceit for the sequel. Even though this was a tossed off thing by Hennenlauter of like, uh basket Case two out of nowhere, he does come up with a pretty great like concept for it where, okay, Belial's the alienated one in the beginning. And Dwayne is the one that can pass for, you know, a regular quote unquote person. And then we're gonna inverse that. And now Dwayne is feeling like right. he can't associate with anybody. He can't relate to anyone else. And it's Belial the is the one who's accepted. Step. Yeah, in the in the storyline, like that, that is the next progression of what it like we flip the script. I think it's just great if you're looking at like, you know, uh, in the first one, Belial is Dwayne's id, right? Like he's this darker part of himself that you think is gone, but it comes up whenever he is distressed or like, you know, it's it's what makes him a quote unquote, I keep saying quote unquote, sorry, I sound so pretentious. Uh, but it w- it's what makes him a basket case. That's the play in the title, right? It's like a crazy person. He's got this side to him that he can't control. And it comes out and it attacks people and kills and whatever. And now it's inverse it's, where, you know, like... It's uh, just
0: like Stranger Things. Like, we yeah. gotta find just that, like, that idiom of, of English language.
1: And we'll just extract it. And then we'll make a <laughs> billion dollars. Oh, Totally. Uh, but yeah, now, but now Dwayne is this side of Belial that is like, I don't belong here. I need to be somewhere else, right? Like I can't be happy. I'm not a whole person because that is Belial's struggle in the first one is I am not whole. Mm-hmm. And now this one, that's Dwayne's struggle. I'm not whole. I'm missing this other part of me, you know, that it's, I, that well, I need to survive. That's the yeah. interesting thing.
0: They, in the first one, they think, well, I, we both have this hole or, mm-hmm. you know, specifically Belial does. And how am I going to fill that? revenge i'm going to kill everyone that made us like this and then once that's completed he still feels that like disconnect and that's what even drives him you know more mad
1: yeah but then that's now in this movie this is the reason i picked it for this month they are both trying to fill this hole with love and romance Right, like you know, Dwayne is pursuing Susan, and Belial is pursuing Eve. Obviously, one is more successful than the other, but it's like, uh, you know, they 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 are both feeling this pull towards other people. And I think this is so great about the arc of this movie is that Dwayne, once that option is removed for him, goes right back to Belial. So it's not even like it's a story of romantic love, but it's also a story of brotherly love, you know, as the first it's, one was.
0: Right, and it, I mean, it really gets into like that's what as we're saying, like a hole in someone and they're trying to fill it and that yeah. constantly like they need to fill that with themselves instead of these other things of revenge, love. Like it's they're they're all psychologically yeah. broken
1: to an this extent. Is, this is what I love about Frank Cannon Lauder is that like you literally can Like pick apart his stories like this there is weird depth to them like even Frankenhooker which I said is mostly a great time that's also a story of a person who's lost something trying to fill fill a void in the only way to know how which is like bizarre weird science and murder and shit Um, not exactly murder you have to see it to see for yourself but like uh, you know even brain damage is about addiction and like that's often what addiction is about is trying to fill some hole in yourself right and yeah. like turning to substances in order to like cope with other things going on in your life. Um So I Frank Hennel, he's just a really fascinating guy, and I think he really does know how to inject his movies with a certain like pathos, you know, and like, I don't know, emotional like logic that just tracks. Like it all it all kind of makes sense. Um Uh let's let's go through the plot just a little bit quicker at this point. We have the reporter goes to the
0: house. And Doctor Ruth is like, eh, "No one's here." And then yep. uh, Dwayne
1: walks in, so you know the the jig is up. So right before uh, that, send... though, I know, you, I know. Okay. Right as you say, we have to zoom through it. You're skipping past a, one of the best scenes in the movie, though, because uh, you know Dwayne has expressed this I, this thought of leaving with Susan. So he wants to talk to Belial about it. He goes up into the attic, and we have the the really nice moment of him just walking through the house and all there, the people passing by him, and he's just clearly not comfortable here he finds Belial holding hands with Eve in the attic, which is a very sweet moment. He takes Belial into a shed and tells him, like, he has a telepathic conversation with him. He's like, I, I want to leave with Susan. Yes, I am in love with her. And yes, I think she loves me too. And yes, I think this will make me happy. When he says this, we have the amazing shot of Van Henten, Henten Rick's face in the Belial prosthetic on the table, laughing him. laughing. At him. Yeah, it, that was great. And it as. So much like literal life to Belial as a character. One, that he has a laugh, and that's the the thing I was going to say. This teeth, seeing the mouth open with the broken teeth and everything, like the the sharp fangs, like, oh, it looks fantastic. And I really wish they used that more throughout the movie, because every time they do it, it looks great. And like I said, Belial has a pretty dopey face in this otherwise, like the, the puppet, I think. Doesn't look quite right to me, you know. There's there's a fantastic one at the very end when uh Belial and
0: Eve are, you know, uh making the two two back beast. What do they call it? A beast with two backs. Yes. Um, where her face is is the, the ladies right. and then it's it is the stock Belial. <laughs> it's very <laughs> weird looking oh, yeah, as yeah. it's having sex. But yeah, so the uh the reporter comes, blah blah blah. The they send in the, the photographer to get a shot, and again, yeah, maybe the next below the bar scene is him going into the
1: attic, which is great. To yeah, get so it's a it's photograph. all dark. Uh, this is after Granny has given a big speech to everybody about like how they have to fight back because the wolves are at the door and everything. I think she's really great in that scene. She's great in general in this movie. She that is. actor, um, Ross, uh, Annie Ross. So it's she gives a big one sp- she note. galvanizes like, everyone. She doesn't yeah. She doesn't have any. I guess she does in that
0: scene, but she is almost like monotone throughout most of that movie.
1: Right, but she does have two. I mean, she's got the caring, loving side of her, and then she's got this sort of like you learn about it, this violent, like you know, like come for me and we will kill you sort of side to her. So like M, like her character, like yeah, car- yeah, exactly. Yes, her character is is not one dimensional. Um, so yeah, the photographer, he's up in the attic and he's taking pictures in the in the dark. Like Dwayne puts on this little performance for him making him believe that Blyle's dying in the attic. So he comes in and he starts taking photos and the way remind me of Rear Window. Uh but like the right. flash like illuminating I, the whole I'm room. I'm sure that's what he was pulling from. Every flash, like the freaks are sorry, the disfigured Ooh. are coming They call them that in the movie constantly, I'm sorry. Uh but every flash, they are closer to him, which is fantastic. And then he's just is constantly taking photos as Belial like finishes the job. Um I really like that stuff. Like that that is that is pretty great. Um even though his death isn't totally gory, like it still kinda works in a suspense way. So uh this is where Marcy then goes to Phil and Phil calls Ruth's place, gets in touch with Dwayne, tells him what he saying he wants to meet, saying, Hey, If you don't meet me, I'm going straight to the police. They are coming to raid that house, and everybody in there is in trouble. Like, they're all going to get killed or taken to jail, whatever, right? I do love that he's like, I'll have the cops there in five minutes. You dig? Yes. Yes. Oh, he's really good. So then we have this spectacular bar scene. You're right. That neon Mm. lighting is gorgeous. It actually reminds me of, uh, uh, released the same year, actually, Maniac Cop 2. Which was uh, okay. actually shot on location in New York. Um, that one has some really fantastic, like neo noir, like lighting, like neon lighting too. And like Robert Davi in that one is like the hard edge cop who like isn't playing by the rules. And That's he plays, right. it he is plays such a yeah, he plays such a great like kind of like uh, like so, like Ted Sorrell in this movie, a great just like neo noir detective in that. Um, mm-hmm. So. Brilliant shot, though, as his like silhouette is coming up to the door and it's like the hat and trench coat. It's the classic like 40s like detective get up, you know, so he comes into this bar and he um, is talking to uh, Dwayne and he's saying, hey, you know, Blyle genuinely needs help. It's just, like just just think about it. And, like, I, We're the best shot you have it's- at getting him help.
0: It's great because he's he's referring to him as his brother, and yeah. then Dwayne's getting worked up, he's like you just want to whatever to the freak, and he's like, "Yeah, did I ever say that?" No, he's, I refer he's to so him good as at this. brother.
1: I I love that he's not a stereotypical like villain. Really, he does seem yes. genuine in like laying out the facts for Dwayne, and like you said, he only ever calls him his brother. He knows exactly what to say to him, you know. Right. And the and even better to me is that uh, you know he's asking you know
0: well if if Belial was okay, Dwayne mm-hmm. saying, you know, if he's fine, then what else? He's like, well, then I would be asking, how are you? Because I am also concerned about you. You were part yeah. of this. It's very dark. He definitely seems that he
1: is empathetic and caring right. about the whole situation. But he, then he, then he hits at Dwayne's like central character conflict where he's just like, Hey, me and you can pass as normal people. You know what I mean? Like compared to your brother, like, and this, activates something within Dwayne, and this is where he makes the big reveal that every other patron in the bar is one of the disfigured people. I love mm. the creepy masks they're wearing as they all turn around <laughs> and, like, take them off. Like, that's really great. Um, Especially, like,
0: Frederick is, it's like, it's it's so small for his face. Yes. But then when and him he and the, him and the moon, it, moon he face is his yeah. pinky. Uh-huh. Yeah, the moon face is, we didn't even talk about
1: that one. That one that is insane. That was wild. Insane. Oh, yeah. It's huge. I can't imagine what it took to, like, actually move around in that thing. Like, that's fucking wild. Uh, um, I think it's
0: also Elise. Elise has, like, a a giant skull that is kind of partly covered with hair. And then there's right. another female uh, disfigured individual, as we call her. There you them, go. Thank, you. Thank uh, you. Who is is almost like a hammerhead shark. Yes. Like, her, yeah. her head is very narrow, and then it juts out with two big eyes. Mm-hmm. Bizarre. I love it.
1: We didn't even mention there's a rat boy. Oh yeah, rat boy. Yeah, I forgot about rat boy. That one is like that one's very funny, especially in this scene because like, in all the crowd shots, his just like mouth is just constantly quivering, (laughs) like it's just like always moving. Um, Did you notice at the end of the picnic, like he's eating cheese? Yeah, (laughs) he just has a big. (laughs) I didn't see that. No, I didn't notice. Oh my god he have got to really cheese. Good. And then he takes the the mustard bottle and like squirts a little bit in his mouth. All right. Too. Well, let's actually let's get through this scene so we can get to that picnic scene because that picnic yeah, scene is great, great too. So, we uh yes, a uh, great line from Dwayne where they're talking about like if you he says like if you ask everyone in the bar about who's normal, you name know I mean? Let's put it to a vote. He yeah, has to put it to a vote. So he gets up and he says like, "How many people? Uh, how many people think me and uh, what's your name?" And Phil just goes, "What the hell's going on here?" And so Dwayne goes, "How many people think me and what the hell is going on here are normal?" And like so nobody good. raises their hands. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Phil he gets a gun out and he's trying to back out, but of course Belial comes for him, and the fight moves into the kitchen. I love that they are knocking over like stacks of cans that are obviously empty. They're not. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to be, like, in packages, but they're, like, empty cans because of how, like, light they look. Um, but they have a struggle. The gun goes off, like, all six times. Like, the bullets come through the door, which I really like. I like the shot, too, of his face getting smashed against the glass. And then the smear yeah. of blood as, like, Blyle. Yeah. Um, and then great shot when he gets, like, finally tossed through the door. It completely breaks. And the mutilated face on him is really good. Just, like, the missing like jaw like not jaw the the skin on his face yes and so like yeah the cheek a lot of his skull was exposed yeah great stuff good good stuff so they all um from here just one of the loose end they then get marcy's address from phil's body and uh this is one of dwayne's better acting scenes i think he's a little mixed in this overall but like um i think he's pretty (laughs) good in the in the marcy one in the in the apartment i love her reaction to it where she's just like yeah. uh no thank you not right now
0: <laughs> yes like, no but you wanted to talk to us They're like uh yeah but normal business hours
1: please yes so then he's Don't just break like break into my apartment please. so he goes over to the basket and he opens it up he's like here's but here here's, here, here's the, he's looking forward to the interview and he opens the basket up and he's not in there and he's like, oh you know what i like i guess i let him out earlier uh she grabs a butcher knife and she's like, "Let him come at me, and I'll carve him up and everything." Of course, all of these people are already in the apartment or climbing into the window, which again is pretty good. They do a good job of like you see a lot of these people, but seeing them under different circumstances does change like your view of them. Like they do look more intimidating or like freak, eh, sorry, um, upsetting <laughs> when they, they look are more being disfigured. when they are being menacing yeah. like this. Yes, thank you. Um, so. Uh, yes, uh Delilah then attacks her. One of the gnarlier moments in the movie for me when he attacks her face and like twists Turns it her like, into a disfigured it, yes. individual. Yeah, it's it's insane. Yeah. I her, love it. Like, like it is her lip impossible. is like pulled all the way up across her face, and <sighs> she's got like a That's spiral right. coming out of the top of her head Net, Like it's it's weird. Um and it basically cuts from her death. To them enjoying a nice. Meal. Well, that's the thing is that she doesn't die, right? Like, well, you know, I mean, I don't know what yeah. they do with her, but, but uh, Dwayne has the line, "You should see yourself now, Marcy. You're a freak too." And I'm quoting the movie. I'm quoting the movie. Um, <laughs> then we had the picnic scene, which is fantastic. Like I said, we had the most unbelievable shot in the movie where the tooth guy just sticks like a ear of corn into his mouth it doesn't actually touch any of his teeth but you hear crunching noises like as he's eating corn which is very funny i think you they're see front like of eating hot dogs
0: yeah there's one person who like literally puts the hot dog like all the way into their mouth yes and you're like you should you should cut like a second
1: before so it at least looks like it's going in and not just sitting I, there i don't think but they great. care i love it i, I, I think they're it. going for it i think they're meaning to be, to be funny um, Auntie Ruth is like, eat children, eat, eat yes. all you want. There's plenty. The gargoyles on the roof going <laughs> like laughing and like <laughs> scooping food into its mouth. I love that. Yeah. Um That's that's the thing too. I love when Marcy is walking out of the house and she hears the gargoyle laughing and was like looking around for it. Like, uh, that's great. It's, yeah. Um,
0: so and then it's kind of split between two things right now. We have Belial and Eve. Mm-hmm creating some real
1: intimate sounds. It, it was very very, f- very, funny music during that. It's like genuinely like, kind of like, you know, sensual. Sweet, romantic. Right. And yeah. then you get the Yep. Uh, very funny. Like sounds. I said, we have the actress who plays Eve in the prosthetic for Eve there. And just like, yes, he like mounts her and like you just see like hands grabbing fleshy parts. Like it's not even clear what the hell it is. Uh, it's very funny, but he, like, mounts her from behind, and you see, like, the movement and everything. It's, you, it's absurd. We never even really covered, like, I guess he has a penis. Oh, I mean, I'm he assuming... has, he has sex in the first one, too. It's non-consensual, yeah. but he does, you know. I'm assuming it's, like, Shape of Water, where she, like, does the cup thing, and <laughs> then just, like, points the yeah. finger. You know, there's plenty of times where he's, like, attacking somebody with both hands, and he's still hanging on to them. Mm-hmm. I had the thought, maybe he's using that to like stay on, you know, stay attached to them somehow. I don't know. He's like he's penetrating them. <laughs> it's like a like a bar For like a, a something. an anchor yes. point, yeah. or something. Uh-huh. Like he's a rock climber. So I like this. I I, I like the cr- <laughs> Geez. I like the cross cutting between that though and Dwayne with Susan, Susan, and he's yeah. telling her his feelings and. I guess she's into him, like, she, she, I mean, she reciprocates, but she's never, like, enthusiastic about it, you know what I mean? It's
0: almost bizarre,
1: because the whole time,
0: you know, he's like, we don't belong here, you and me, and she's like, no, 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 we do, but I still kind of like you. And even, um, so and there's the the part where Dwayne has, like, the psychic link with, with Belial, and Susan goes, he's in love as well. Yes. So, like, she understands he's in love, and then that's when we cut to them fucking. But right, he is not forcing himself on Susan. No, but, but it he, is he's... almost like emotionally manipulative to a, a degree. Yeah,
1: it's, it's like a said, weird. I mean, like the first one has a moment where where uh, Belial is forcing himself on somebody. And so to have, I mean, I don't know if that's supposed to be a direct parallel. I think we are supposed to believe that Susan does love Dwayne here, too. But if that's a parallel, then it's interesting that Dwayne is now the one being, like, pursuing somebody that, you know, aggressively. or It's it's whatever. forceful. Like, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. But it's very, like, icky and right. questionable. But then we need to but get again, to again, one of
0: the most insane things of all yes. time.
1: Yes. So he like, is unbuttoning her blouse. And she's saying, you should know, I've been with a man before. And he's like, I don't care about that. And she's like, well, I no. love you. I lo- I'll love you no matter what. Yes. And he's like, and she's like, well, no, we were together and it had like, I forget what her phrasing is, but it's like, you know, we had an interesting result or something like that. And she's like, I'm pregnant. And she's like, I've been pregnant for six years. And this is where he pulls back and is like, <laughs> what? And she's like, and then she opens her shirt more. <sighs> And she has like a gaping wound on her abdomen that opens up and she's like, and he's just afraid to come out. So we let him stay in there. He's shy. And a toothed worm shoots out of her belly. This is her six year old child that's still living inside of her because it's disfigured. (laughs) This is what she's been talking about when she's saying she's one of them. The subtitles
0: refer to it as freak baby oh my god uh, you know <laughs> not politically correct but it's just it's such an odd look it it reminds me a little bit of the trimmer's uh t- snake yeah. tongue worm mm-hmm. thing or it doesn't or, have
1: eyes or bringing it all around the reaper tongue from blade 2 okay yeah when their mouths open up and, the, and like it's yeah. like a worm thing that comes out you know I um, do love how they're like hold oh, it's So good. So good. It's the autopsy so cool. scene the autopsy scene in that is pretty brilliant. Yeah. Um so <laughs> It shatters his mind, basically. Breaks him completely, which is fantastic. He's really good from this point on. Like he is hitting what exactly what he needs yeah. to. So he's freaking out. She gets up and they are like, you know. Uh, kind of tussling a little bit this is all happening as Belial is coming upstairs inside of Eve <laughs> I mean sorry but that's what's happening he's like oh like he's you know finishing it seems like Eve is too so belial's doing his job um good for them Dwayne du- you know? <laughs> accidentally knocks fucking Susan out the window and she falls <sighs> to her death she lands on the table in front of the entire community. Like, I love the cutting dead. of Ruth going where's Susan to then her falling yes. out the window. Brilliant. I I like that that Ruth is pretty understated in her reaction while everyone else around her is like screaming with like yeah you know terror. I I really like that. So then like she goes find Dwayne and everyone kind of like moves inside the house. I I really that that's good too. Um, so Dwayne is like talking to himself. He's like I've been in denial. I have been one of them. I've been I've been not a real person. Like I don't I'm not complete. And he's like. He's so good at doing this. He gets a bat. He's like tearing through a toy box as he's doing all this, which is great. He finds a bat, carries it upstairs. He sees Belial. takes his shirt off, which yeah, is takes great. takes his shirt like, off. I,
0: love, I love the the scarring on yeah, him. Yeah. It all looks so good. That's really well so done. Good. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. He goes upstairs, and Belial is still inside of Eve. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Jesus. And he's just like, we need to talk. And he bats Belial on the head. Um, he gets a needle, and the sewing is fucking gnarly. Just seeing the needle go it's, through the flesh with the blood spurting out—it's out. it's like red
0: yarn. It's so yes.
1: insane. <laughs>
0: yeah, but it's, it's really it good. It is literally a knitting needle he is using.
1: Oh man! Uh, so he he sews himself and Blyle back together. He sews Blyle back onto his side. as Blyle is screaming as this is happening. One of my favorite parts everywhere. of the... yeah blood shooting all over the place. One of my favorite parts of the first movie is Belial's scream. It's like a weird, like, throaty, like, oh, oh, kind of thing. And his voice to me in this one doesn't sound as good, but his screaming during this part is is great again. Um, and I, I don't know. I think maybe I just like it because, like, I mean I guess aside from laughing, screaming is the only way Belial can express himself, you know? Um, which I, I, just, I just like that as a sentence, like I just said. You can only express yourself with, like, screams of anguish and rage. Anyway... Granny Ruth and the rest of the community walk in and they see Belial and Dwayne back together as one complete being. It's and a great shot. It's amazing. Cuz he's in the
0: foreground
1: not even facing them. Yes. And then you see them all in the background. Yeah. Dwayne yeah. turns around and he sticks the landing so hard. Hey, it's okay. We're together again. Credits. Amazing. Credits. Oh. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Just like beginning and ending with Dwayne's arc is so... Dwayne and Blyle's arc is fantastic. They totally stick the ending. There's guff with this movie for sure, and it's pacing at points and the fact that Dwayne does leave the movie for so long at one point, but like what a way to go out, just like from the sex scene to the baby reveal to Susan's death to that, the sewing. just The last ten minutes are
0: are just like so supercharged. They're concentrated of what you want. Oh, totally. So what would we want to rate this out of i feel like baskets is a little too on the nose
1: uh um, we are gonna be corn doing on the cops smackaroos smackaroo i love it Hmm. out smack-a-roos. of a hundred no just just five five yeah.
0: smackarinis okay
1: smackarinis i think that's better yeah <laughs> smackarinis so final thoughts this was the second watch for me, and I liked it more the first time I watched it, I think. Uh but you watching it again, like it is still a pretty entertaining movie just on a, on its own. And I think what was just getting me this time that made it a step down is that like um since I watched the second one, I had rewatched the first one, and then watching this one again, you just see how it's a bit of a downgrade. Like it's not as good, it doesn't have that same grit. Uh performance is a little more mixed here. And you don't have all the fantastic, like you know, New York character actor side, uh, New York character actor side characters that you had in the original, which are a big part of why that movie is so good. That and then just the slight disappointment with how Belial looks in this, and getting less of Belial and Dwayne in general, is a little disappointing for a sequel. But uh, what it lacks in all of that, it makes up for in having a pretty fantastic idea for a sequel to Basket Case. Like, taking it seriously and not really feeling like a cash-in, just doing a lot of the same thing again. It, it has its own ideas, it makes logical sense where the characters go from here, and it explores their relationship in a very interesting way. And I just like the way that, like, it, it is, like I mentioned, it's, it's still a brother story, but it's two brothers who are thinking of going their separate ways and have been lulled away from each other by romance by romantic partners and i think that it it is interesting exploring both relationships belial and eve and um you know dwayne and susan they're not like really well thought out like deep complex relationships like dracula and mina but they are like you know they're good for the characters and i think that um like it is so interesting to see belial in this state of bliss with a loved one you know, like, in a place where you never he never thought he could be happy. But he found somebody that he could actually relate to. Like, he's Dwayne's brother, but he can't relate to his position at all, you know? Um, and so I, I think that I really like what the romance angle brings to their characters, even if it's not, like, great romances themselves. I'm going to say 3.3 uh, twin numbers for a movie about twins. 3.3... Um, that's clever. Smacker smackerinis. Smackerinis, yeah. Yes. I I may be just a
0: little bit higher than you. I do I find this movie extremely charming. Yeah. And I think it's a lot of the the care into the effects that go in. Um, you know, and I even mentioned it, it's got some some wonderful atmosphere some mood setting i feel like he learned how to use the camera a bit more from basket case i really should go back and re-watch it because i don't remember any specific like shots that grabbed me like the, the million what million like just the push in yeah on the editor as he's doing that it's it's really good again that last shot of the way that You know, Dwayne and Belial are in the foreground. Everyone else is coming into the door. Or the way that Mars scene begins, like we talked about that. Yeah, right. Again, all the lighting, fantastic. It it's definitely a step up in all the production value, but it's also kind of boring at times. The pacing just never really. uh, I think most of the middle, the pacing is very odd and stilted. And I rewatched it this morning. Uh, You know, this is probably the third time I've seen it. Then. And I was I was fast forwarding like by thirty seconds on Tubi, a couple times. i like, okay, I know what happens.
1: This nothing really important is happening well, here. Real quick, that is one thing. I I watched it on uh, there was a free version of it on Plex, and I don't know how bad it was on Tubi, but on Plex the ads were so intrusive and frequent that i really think that harmed the pacing of the movie for me so maybe yeah. if i because I, I, I also felt the same thing but it, it could just be like for me it could have just been there were so many ads that it took so much longer to get through it that is a possibility i
0: watched the first time i watched it was on my television so it took longer but i have ad blocker on my computer so the second time it was 90 minutes there uninterrupted i don't think i even paused it this morning you know, it's got a fucking living gargoyle. That's pretty cool.
1: You know. <laughs> That's but worth a lot. It's
0: yeah. It's it's such an odd mix of humor and terror that it it really straddles a line, not being too heavy into either of them. And you're given this product that is a little all over the place, but in a you know in an insane way. But you're again charming. You're there for that personality. And it carries it along for most of it. Kenan uh, yeah. Water just has he has an eye for the bizarrely captivating. I think he totally. can, he really knows what is going to uh, pick up on screen and what your eye is going to be drawn to in it. You know we we've, we've seen it in Brain Damage as well. He even kind of tops himself in that regard in Basket Case Three and that there's an inset piece. I'm pretty sure you already know about it, but I that inset piece is just one of those things where you cannot look away from it as it's happening on screen. I think I'm going to go 3.6 Macarinis. It's uh it's it's just such a a fascinating piece of film that could be better is better than a lot of other things that we've yeah. watched on this
1: podcast. You know what? I said 3.3 mostly for that twin thing, but my real score is like 3.5. <laughs> like, you know, it, it I, is better I think, than yeah. what I actually said. Um, I was just, you know, going for that easy uh, little joke or whatever. But, yeah. um, you're right. It, it, chip, yeah, it, it, like Cheap. Like Like all of Head & Lauder's stuff, it is way better than it needs to be. Like, yeah. You know, it could just be an exploitation movie about disfigured people and be you know, like a toss off thing, but there is real care put into the characters of Dwayne and Blyle at the very least. So, like, uh, you know, I had to give a lot of props. I was seeing, too, like, there was actually a surprising number of, like, positive contemporary reviews of this. Like, um, and I think it's got like a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, this is, like, you know, this, like, Hannah Lauder is fairly well regarded, like, shockingly, which is like, good. I'm glad he is, you know?
0: I. Yeah, I feel that anyone that would watch a second movie of Basket Case is generally gonna be kind of positive on it. It really right. you, is, you know what
1: you, you know what to sort of yeah. expect a little bit.
0: Yeah. Uh and yeah. it's not as diluted or you know it's not a diluted version of the first one. There are still some great like we said, that end is just like so concentrated of of great filmmaking. Yeah. That you'll forgive other things about it. Mm-hmm. But that's going to wrap it up to Monster Love after we do one last thing. It's the end of the month, like we always do. We're going to do the Massies. Give some awards to all these movies. Let's look at what we've covered so far this month. We've done EGOT winner Mike Nichols' Wolf. We did Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. David Cronenberg's The Fly. And then Frank Heddenwater's Basket Case 2. A wide <sighs> ranging of movies this month. Really not looking forward to having to decide between all these. Like, this is insane. The, there's a lot of of tough choices we're going to have to make, but we're going to do it right now, starting with the one we always start with, the Claude Daigle Memorial Penmanship Awards Scholarship Fund Foundation, otherwise known as Best Kill. I've got a lot of mine already written down, and this one was probably the... The easiest of them.
1: As difficult as all is. If you have any thoughts, let me hear them. Okay. Um, You go ahead and start. I'm curious. Because I'm split between two. Brundlefly. I think the the end where
0: he is... I guess it's Brundlefly slash transporter pod at that point. Because he is so broken down from what he originally was, Seth Brundle... He was then became a fly, and then he was this biomechanical object at the end. Who Ronnie is so heartbroken that she does not want to be the one to kill him, and he is the one insisting, pointing the gun at his own head to be killed. And it, it's such a beautiful moment. It's it's really captivating and, yeah. and heartbreaking. I think it's one of the most heartbreaking kills. We've ever seen on this podcast.
1: Yes. I, you know what, I'm going to say the same thing. I, I that's my, I was also one of the two I was split between because I'll, I mean, just everything you said, 100% absolutely true. The other part of it, fantastic head explosion. Just like gory, chunky, bloody, just like, you know, uh, it looks fantastic. And Cronenberg shows you everything. It's a lot like the, we talked about it, but it's like the scanners one, just, you know. Um, it, it looks spectacular. The other one I was I was kind of considering was uh, Lucy from Bram Stoker's Dracula, but like uh, I I think just um, you, you're right. The emotionality of the fly one really does send it home. You know, um, Dracula's death and Dracula is also pretty great. You get a, a heart stab and decapitation and similar idea of the emotions behind everything. But yeah, the head blowing up like. It looks great. That's that's the thing that pushes that one over the edge. Yeah, so abs- it goes to to the fly for sure. Next, we're going to talk about performance, and this is another
0: one that's just like cutthroat. It had so many good ones. <laughs> um, I mean, I just want to run down like of some of the the highlights of it. Is James Spader and Wolf? Yes, phenomenal. You have both um, Anthony Hopkins and Tom Waits in Dracula, giving just stellar.
1: Stellar performances. Gary Oldman and Dracula, Sadie Frost in Dracula, Winona Ryder in Dracula.
0: It is very hard to Billy Campbell
1: in Dracula. You might as well just say everyone except
0: Keanu. In that <laughs> yeah, movie. yeah. It's a lot oh, yeah. less wordy. Um honestly, the whole cast of the fly is pretty great. It's hard small to cast, but those. and pretty fan yeah. Even uh I can't even remember the name, but the uh not not Stannis Baratheon, Stathis something else yes with a b he's really good at it and then i think you know um dwayne but i can't remember his name he does uh, he, does, uh, do F- he, he great. does do a good
1: job he does great a good job in this i like lyle bark the actor who plays lyle barker is great ted sorrell is very good yeah. um jason evers is as Lou the editor is great um and uh going back to wolf 2 i mean of course fucking jenkins richard jenkins oh yeah Pfeiffer is Pfeiffer is really good in Wolf I mean and we talked She's about two just muted, like but yes That one is I mean that one to me It started out more because The material is often Kind of bad But she still manages to be pretty good Like it's a pretty uh, Pretty spectacular feat So From my pick, what would be your choice? I'm gonna I have a guess <sighs> It's something in Dracula Of course I think it's gonna be Gary Oldman I mean like mm-hmm that was that was my guess for you i I, i'm not somebody who like usually i i'm a little mixed on oldman sometimes i think he's usually good i don't know if he's ever like terrible but i think that there's just times where he is like so big or so actory. you know what i mean that like it can kind of distract a little bit but for for that role in dracula for a version of dracula that we had never seen before and in so many different forms um But managing to be both romantic scary pitiable you know intimidating like and like genuinely lovable at times like both in terms of you can love him and also just like you're just delighted by the by the tenacity of the performance like it it really is such a range of emotions he's pulling out of the audience and just like anytime he is on screen Your eyes are so drawn to him and his like it's just operatic theatric movements and um it it works so well within the context of the movie and it's a version of a classic cinematic character that we just had not seen before and you know like the frank langella version had dracula be romantic but that's a little different that's frank langella it's not exactly like like, you're not you're not swooning over frank langella I mean, speak for yourself, my man. Yeah. (laughs) But when you see Dracula, especially when he's in the the beginning in his fucking sick-ass armor with his curly hair and beard, like, he looks good like that. And you buy him as, like, this romantic hero in the beginning. And then you completely buy him as the ancient monster when he's in the castle. And then you buy him again as a love interest when he is the age Dracula. Like, in every step of the way... You totally buy what he is supposed to be in that moment. Yeah, so and it's I gotta it's silent. Away. It's mm-hmm. silent, but him licking that razor blade. Ooh, oh yes, brilliant. Oof, so his, hard. His is incredible laugh with the that like the just <laughs> yeah yeah. Hopkins is, I mean, very very extremely good in that movie too. But I just feel like all, some of it is kind of Hopkins being Hopkins, which is not a complaint at all. That's not a complaint. I just feel like with Oldman, you're getting a spin on such an iconic character that we just haven't seen before. Um, Van Helsing's also a take on it we haven't seen, but it's not as iconic as Dracula, so I think it isn't you sure know, registered the same way for me.
0: I'm going to stick with the fly for my performance. I actually think Gina Davis gives a yeah, wonderful yes. portrayal as Ronnie the heartbreak on her face multiple times in that movie.
1: It's so good that and just the 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 romance of the of their attraction to each other too is so great. As you as you see, she gets she kind of as she warms up to him, like it's it's, so palpable. It's hard not to love Gina Davis, and especially when she's like
0: she's happy and she's like developing these feelings when they're first in bed. She's like, I want to eat you up, and she's just got this giant smile on her face. Even with just how horrific it gets in the end, it, you know, she's there for him to finish him off. That sounds kind of weird, but she's there <laughs> to to seal the deal and, and actually, you know, uh, shoot him in the head. And then just the horror that she has mm-hmm. of, like, being possibly pregnant with uh, a giant larva baby yeah and the and the the just the quick thing of in the abortion doctor's office if you won't do it i'll do it myself so determined and Mm -hmm. it's it's a real it's a heartbreaking portrayal of of falling in love and then having that love turn out to be not what
1: you wanted or what you expected it to be yeah Oh, totally i mean and just uh, loving somebody too who goes through a change a physical change an emotional change and it's the yeah. heartbreak that comes with that too like yeah you can't go wrong with either her or goldblum i mean like he he's so amazing and he also has that he has the challenge too of acting under the makeup and he still yep. fucking nails it like uh yeah you can't go wrong with either one of those picks for sure it it Slides on, it's
0: right over James spader and Wolf. James spader and Wolf gives just such a like electrifying, especially when he's transformed. Yeah. It's just so insane in that police station when he smells Michelle Pfeiffer. I will never forget that my entire
1: life. How creepy he is. It's so I, well done. I, I, one more shout out to Sadie Frost as Lucy. I just watching it this time for the podcast, like I was so impressed with her. Um, she, she's great just like the fact that she has to play this like character that could easily be ditzy and annoying mm-hmm. but she manages to be genuinely funny genuinely sexy and then scary when she is a vampire too and like you're also very concerned for her as she's changing and all that too like i i think she does a really really awesome job i really like sadie frost we're gonna move on to best effect i'm gonna guess we're
0: both going to bring it from dracula it's just narrowing it down to which specific effect i already know it is i the, swear to god no sorry go ahead go ahead uh, it is the ghostly carriage driver mm. of him extending the arm and then pulling keanu into the carriage it is so effect like it's a simple thing they explained it in the commentary but it it gives you this real otherworldly aspect of the movie and you are like mesmerized almost like jonathan harker is in that moment of like this
1: isn't possible but it's happening at the yeah. same time i i'm caught between two different moments and i swear to god one of them i am not doing this just to troll you one of them is the eyes in the sky oh my god like I swear to Christ! I, I I rewatched since I really so I listened to the episode when it came out. I, I listened back uh. to every episode just to get a refresher on each one and like, you know, I don't know. I genuinely I remember what own said. Podcast. Yeah, but like, uh, I watched. I was like listening back to it. and I'm like, he's insane. And I watched it again and again and again on YouTube. It's so good. I don't know what you're talking about. Like, it looks fantastic and it is so eerie and it is so like, otherworldly when it happens and combined with the music at that point and, like, the dialogue and hearing his voice and then seeing those appear, like, it, it it has such a profound effect on me when it happens. Like, it just, like, activates something inside of me. Like, seeing those appear in the sky like that. Um, the other one is such a great example of a special effect that you just... It, it's special and it's, like completely unnecessary which makes it better but it adds so much to it subconsciously but the walls closing in during that shaving scene where he does the buckle yeah. and everything the fact that you you it's almost imperceptible you'll never see it really on film but it does have the impact of you feel it during it even without knowing what's going on you feel things closing in on Jonathan as the sets are literally getting smaller as the scene progresses that is so incredible to me the fact that they thought of doing that and then did it to the degree where it and actually it works off. and right. is per- it's like it actually genuinely has an impact on you with the viewer and you don't know what it is it's It's—it's invisible effects at their best like you're not, you can't actually look in the background and see a wall moving but you get the sensation of it somehow it's the lighting is changing the space and the atmosphere is changing so I don't know which I'm going to pick between those I think I'm going to go the eyes in the sky because you can see it. And also, like, that shot has four other things happening at the same time. It's a great, it's
0: a good shot. I wish I loved the eyes as much as you do. Uh, But I am not
1: even joking about this. But I was talking to people recently and I brought up that shot. I was at um, a pinball event and I was talking with people about, uh, drag because I just watched it people were asking what I would seen recently whatever. So I was talking about that and I brought up like oh man there's just like this gorgeous shot of like this of when he Jonathan Harker's on the train and like these eyes appear in the sky and someone's like yes I love that it looks amazing well, we were just talking about it and I finished that conversation so galvanized I was like I am gonna get a tattoo of those eyes like somewhere like they're so good and then I had this idea I'm putting this out there of maybe doing this someday I want an entire sleeve of Dracula eyes and Dracula faces because um, it's actually like a weird common theme in image. Like there's imagery of just Dracula's face or eyes in the sky. Like you had that in Bram Stoker's Dracula. There's a f- brilliant poster for horror of Dracula. The first Christopher Lee one that is just like his eyes and like part of his face and then his fangs like in the sky mm. next to the castle. Um, that would make for a great tattoo. And then the box art for the original Castlevania game has a big Dracula face in the sky behind the castle. I could just do like a whole center art piece of those things, you know? I imagine. Maybe throw Bill like... in there somewhere too. Yeah. But, yeah. I imagine you're going to get like a full back tattoo that is like the Bram Stoker's Dracula poster. Like the gray. Aww, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> you don't even talk about one of the other things that I, I did think about briefly for Best Effect because it, it's also one of those like. Unnoticeable looks, and I'm sorry to turn this into like a postscript on Dracula, but how can I not? Um, the castle did Coppola talk about the castle in the commentary you watched? Do you remember? I believe so, yeah. They intentionally designed it to look like a person. If you look at it, it's got a head and it's got like a neck because of the way it's crumbling, and then it has two like turrets that look like it's arms stretching out. Like, it's designed to look like Dracula himself. And I would have never noticed it unless they pointed out in the commentary. But now that I know that I can't not see it, that, like, Mm -hmm. it looks looks both dead and alive at the same time. Amazing effects work right there alone. Anyway, that's Best Effect, the eyes in the sky, Dracula's eyes. Moving on to (laughs) Best (laughs) Massacre
0: of the Month. This one's a little bit tougher because I don't necessarily think there's a massacre in almost any of these I I guess I would have to give it to basket case 2 That was my that, that they, was my thought too Yeah They kill 3 people and like that's you know Dracula drinks a few people he kills Renfield he kills uh Sadie Frost Lucy But it's yeah. not really I wouldn't say massacre Hopkins uh,
1: Hopkins massacres the brides
0: That yeah and But it's also kind of done on screen a bit so like right. you know. Yeah, I mean, there's one death in Wolf, I guess. Or I, I mean, guess if you count uh, Spaders as well. Or the Spader the kills people arm. off screen. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, I think it's Basket Case too.
1: Yeah, I'm also saying Basket Case too. I do want to give it something, I mean, at the very least. And I do think that, I mean, yeah, it's like, it's not a lot, but it, each death is memorable, I think, you know. Even if the first one's not that gory, like, you do get the nice image of him stuffing into the tank afterwards well,
0: i guess yeah you do get four you get the barker oh, the security guard yeah the the what you call it um photographer the cop
1: and the reporter
0: yeah
1: and a security guard in the beginning
0: right. oh yeah i guess that's true uh so we're gonna move on to the seasonal award for this month which monster are you going to take out on a date this is one of the easiest things I've ever said in my entire life. I am taking Michelle Pfeiffer out to a nice <laughs> pasta dinner. <laughs> I don't care if she's a
1: wolf. If I have to keep her in a kennel, it's still Michelle Pfeiffer. You know, I forgot that she would count for that. Yes, she does. That's a, that's a great one. Oh, man. You know what? I would take Jack Nicholson, dude. How I'm- can you not take Jack Fuck, I was gonna say Dracula easily, but like no, you. I mean, I was also gonna say Jeff Goldblum. Look, honestly, it's any hard. of these would be a good option. Even Belial right. would be interesting for the story. Like, <laughs> you know, um, Eve. Uh, I mean, Eve's a
0: looker, but you know, oh, if you yeah, take yeah. if you take out Nicholson, he's gonna take you to a Lakers game.
1: Dude, that's gonna the get thing. to sit. Court dinner side seats Dinner and a game Yes Actually dinner and a game At the same time You're gonna eat his Homemade chili He's bringing in A tupperware <laughs> container He's gonna spill over <laughs> The court floor I love referencing that That's so fucking funny Um But no I would take Nicholson <laughs> It would be a, such a Fantastic night out Are you kidding me Oh man The stories
0: like, you would hear Oh
1: yeah just the eccentricities, oh, all of it oh, be fantastic. But here's the thing, I guess in the context of like the, the question is, the monster, if I'm taking Will Randall, I mean, he's a little bit of a dud, I guess, right? If he's wolf mode, though, and he's able to like sniff out everyone around me, yeah. that, that's okay. You take Will Randall. You're not people watching, but he's people sniffing, and he's just eavesdropping everybody around him, giving you the, all the dirt yeah. on everyone. Oh, God. Fantastic. It's got to be, you know, that guy over there didn't wash his ass this morning. Just like, I don't know, weird stuff like that, you know? Well, that's
0: it for Monster Love. (laughs) We're closing the book. And we're going to be opening a new one because it's going to be Maniac March. We are talking about insane killers who have no tie to the supernatural whatsoever. They are straight real world maniacs and we're going to be starting with the 1982 cult classic pieces a Mm -hmm. film i saw maybe 16 i bought in a dvd box set with wow two other movies i was like sure why not uh death machine was the other one and i cannot recall what the third one was i think it was more like sci-fi space type of thing but um we're gonna be we're gonna be jumping in.
1: <laughs> I mean, I Chainsaw are and all. to do it. I, I mean it yeah. is interesting that it is like you that is a stipulation you have to make with horror is like nope no supernatural killers because it comes up so much. So um yes, very excited. This will be fun. Thank
0: you all for listening. You can always rate review subscribe anywhere you get the podcast. Please uh, contact us. T- uh, email weekly at gmail.com. We have both Twitter and Instagram at weekly massacre. So hit us up, let us know if you have a, see, the the word I was about to use is not correct. If you have a conjoined twin brother who is possibly a disfigured individual, let us know. If uh, you eat corn, if you have giant teeth and you eat corn on the cob,
1: uh, send yeah, us a video. please explain that to us. When it's a video, right. a, a detailed right. breakdown of how this works, yes. If you are an uh, intellectual property
0: lawyer and can get us started helping Hen and Lauder sue Disney so that we can make Basket Case 4, it's going to happen. Oh. Let's ah, do. Let's, let, the secret, we're going to put that out into the universe, and it's going to happen. So, until next
1: time, I'll make you a margarita. I'll put a little umbrella in it. I'm quoting a character we didn't even talk about But when Marcy tries to bribe The black security guard at the hospital He has the line This will just make me depressed and angry He's from something too right Like, he's... Yeah he looked familiar I should have looked him up But I didn't Yeah, <sighs> not, well, Let's not just do it real quick Yeah not the guy from Dawn of the Dead But um His name is Dominic Dominic Marcus is the actor he is in Thomas Crown Affair, Eraser, Rounders, Far and Away. Or he's additional crew on Far, on Far and Away. Man, still working, too. He's in The Blacklist, which is a show that I, I have done a lot of work for. Maybe um, it's like an
0: X-Files episode or something, but I know I've seen him in, like, a, a horror movie. Hey, good news. He is in Frankenhooker
1: as Pimp. Well, We tried. <laughs> I mean I got a couple that I know, yeah. You know. Um all right, yes. Bye everybody. <laughs>